good to be here this morning. I am uh, Joel Sims. I'm on staff here at the church. And um, I see some fans in there. Okay. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Always. And uh, last week we started off, this is our second week in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and in Jude. And so we're going to continue in this series. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Last week, some key verses for this series were verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read those real quick, and then we'll go into 11 and 12, which are our key verses for this morning. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. It's also on the screen, so you can just uh, look up at the screen if you need. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's our passage for today. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. God, what an honor it is this morning to speak from your word. I pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, God, that we'd be able to think your thoughts and have your desires in our hearts. This space is for you, Jesus' name, amen. You remember your first car? I remember my first car. Some of you guys have had so many cars, you don't remember all the cars that you've had, but for sure you remember your first car. My first car was a 1990 Geo Prism. It was white with four doors. It was kind of smashed in on the front a little bit. Front headlight was duct taped. Um, I had, uh, somebody in our church had given our family that car. We needed a car. Um, uh, my parents were going to work and we needed to be able to get to school in this incredible family in the church. And, given us a car, and so it was my car, and um, uh, I, I was thrilled to have it, even though on the front the headlight was duct taped, and so there were, a few, uh, there were a few little peculiar things about my car, as many of you guys probably remember, your first car had some quirks, uh, unless you were, you know, the family that had the brand new car, and in that case, I hold bitterness in my heart towards you. <laughs> my car had... Uh, uh, it, it was a four-cylinder car. There was a season. It only had three cylinders. Um, I don't know how it ran, but it did. We went about zero to 60 in two and a half minutes. And uh, I tried to pull a trailer one time with it because it had a trailer hitch. I don't know who put the trailer hitch on. Um, it didn't work out. We couldn't get up the hill. We had to stop. And um, we finally got it fixed. Somebody had helped us fix it, and we leveled up to uh, four cylinders, just killing it. And um, uh, for a while, though, I had, uh, there was a light that turned on in, on the dashboard. Uh, it was a um, battery light. And so we tried to fix it, but the light wouldn't go off. It was, it was always on. The light just stayed on, and um, it, was, it was always on. Even when you turned the car off, it would stay on. Um, so I would take the keys out, and the light would stay on, and I didn't know what to do because eventually even that little bitty light that stayed always on would run the battery down. And so I carried a pair of pliers around with me 
in the car. And so anytime I would stop, if I was going to stop for longer than one or two minutes, I would get out and I would pop open the hood and I would run around and I would take the battery plug off so that it would stop the electricity from getting to the dashboard so it wouldn't run my battery down. So rain or shine, yes, rain or shine. I popped the hood and I would take the little cable off. And so all the time I would go to work, I'd run, I'd pop my hood. Friends would ask me, what am I doing? And I would just ignore them and just stay focused. And um, one day I was driving down the road and um, uh, my friend that was in the car with me and my light was on because it was always on. And, um, and uh, I saw the hood kind of doing this thing on the front. And I'm going to speed limits, 50 miles an hour. That's what I do always, go to speed limit. And um, going to a Memorial Parkway in Huntsville, where I'm from, and I see the hood start to do this. And I went, what's wrong with the hood now? You know, my sweet little Geo Prism. Uh, apparently I'd forgot to shut the hood and all of a sudden the thing flies up and hits the windshield and I'm going 50 miles an hour cruising down Memorial Parkway. There are cars going by and they're honking as if I don't know what's happening, that there's, I can see nothing. I start screaming. My friends start screaming. We don't know what's happening. I'm doing this. And finally I look and I see right where the hood is. It's kind of curved. I press my face all the way up to the windshield and I can see about two inches between the hood that's smashed up against the windshield and the, and the uh, bottom of the dash. And so I press my face up. I'm driving like this and I safely, because I'm an incredible driver, safely veer <laughs> off to the side, pull in. I about have a heart attack screaming my head off, all because this dumb light wouldn't ever go off. The text today shows us what kind of reaction we can expect from the world and also what kind of reaction we can expect from ourselves when we are faithfully present with God, when we are always on. You remember that little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine? When we have that light shining on the inside of us and it's always on, there are reactions. There are things that happen. There are circumstances that take place in the world and in us. And Simon Peter, as he writes this passage, shows us that there are things that happen. The text shows us that today. Peter introduces the concept where we get this idea from this entire series, always faithfully present. So Peter's letter is written to different churches uh, scattered around and the letter was meant to be sent around so that all the churches could read. And they're full of this, uh, the, the churches are full of uh, outcasts, um, social outcasts, political outcasts, religious outcasts. And so he calls them what they are, exiles, strangers, pilgrims, aliens. The thing that makes all of these, holds all of these in common is that they all stand out. He said, you, you, you stand out. So the, the question that Peter answers here is not, as a believer with my light always on, shining for Jesus. It's not, how do I go ahead and blend into the culture I find myself in? And it's not, how do I stand out? Because you don't have to ask that question as a believer. If you're a follower, just, you don't have to ask the question, how do I stand out? You're just going to stand out. It's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in a position where, you're, where it's, it's evident. Instead, he asks the question, answers the question, how am I to be faithfully present where I am? Faithfully present. Faithful to what God has called me to do and yet present where I am. See, what we tend to do oftentimes is fall on one of two sides when we realize as believers that we stand out. We tend to fall on one of two sides. So we either want to uh, blend in and uh, just do what everybody else is doing. 
so that we, that we kind of don't stand out. Uh, and this, this ends up leading to a cultural Christianity. Or we, or we want to stand out. We opt on that side and, 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 and get weird and, and intentionally stand out. I remember I was in school one time uh, back when I was in um, uh, college. And I was in class and I was going to school to be a pastor. I was at pastor school. And uh, I was in class and the professor was teaching and he asked a question and um, this particular professor was extremely intimidating, so I never answered any questions in there. And, um, but the guy on the front row did, because uh, he was the front row guy. And so he raises his hand, and um, he goes to answer the question, and uh, Dr. Newman was the professor's name. And um, Dr. Newman says, yes. And the guy raises his hand, and he goes, and, and his mouth is moving, and there's, and there's nothing coming out. And he goes, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Well, what did you say? And the guy goes, he says, brother, your, your mouth is moving, but I don't hear anything coming out of your mouth. Finally, the girl sitting beside him said, oh, no, 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 it's okay. He's fasting, talking. <laughs> okay. I'm in the back and I'm ready. This, he's about to get the hammer. And he um, says, what do you mean he's fasting, talking? You just raised your hand. And the guy kind of looks around and he says, are you going to give us an answer? And he just goes, just makes motions. Finally, my professor looked at him and he said, if you, he said, if you're too spiritual to talk, you're too spiritual to raise your hand. <laughs> if you're going to live faithfully present, always on, you don't have to worry about standing out. It's going to happen. You don't have to get weird. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus is going to show up in your life, and it's going to happen. You're going to stand out when you live always on. And so there are a couple of points that I want to point out this morning where we automatically stand out as believers. When you live always on, when we're always on, the first place is, is that we stand out to the enemy. We stand out to the enemy. Now, I'm not one that says that the enemy or Satan is under every rock and behind every door. But I am one that says that there is an enemy and he has, his, and he has a name. His name's Satan. And we read about him in Scripture. The first time I remember feeling a calling to, to church ministry, to full-time ministry where I was going to uh, spend my life serving the people of God uh, at a church, I was... The, the first time I remember, I was about 10 years old, and I was riding in a van uh, with my family, my whole family, my mom, my dad, my two older brothers, and a little sister, and we were headed to uh, church on a Sunday morning. And so uh, I was looking out the window, and just we were just cruising. I wasn't really paying attention. And then something, um, something on the inside of me, I don't know what it was, just said, um, you, you're going to... I want you to be a pastor when you get older. And, and it wasn't in some spectacular service. It wasn't in um, some amazing moment at, at the altar, though I did have some pretty neat encounters with Jesus in, um, in some youth camps and some uh, retreats and stuff like that. It was, it, was riding in a, it was riding in a minivan with my parents. And so for whatever reason, I don't know why I did this, because this was not like me, because I didn't want to stand out, especially in front of my two older brothers who were at times not the best. Um, <laughs> And so I remember thinking, I'm going to go ahead and tell my dad. I'm going to tell him right here in this car. And so we're riding, and I said, Dad. And he's all the way in the, in the front. It's like a mile. 
in front of, it feels like a 10-year-old. I said, Dad, I, I'm, I'm going to be a, I think I'm going to be a pastor when I get older. I'm going to be a preacher. And he, I remember looking at his eyes in the rearview mirror. And he goes up and he kind of looks at me in the back. And my brothers turn around and look at me. Like, you dork. And he goes, that's good. And then just kept driving and that was it. I don't know what it was, but something, something I needed to declare it, I guess, looking back. <clears throat> I guess that's what I, I needed to affirm that. I don't, know if, I don't know if the Holy Spirit wanted that to come out. Looking back, I think that's what that was. Um, and so I, I, I knew at a younger age that I, that I was going to be in ministry. And so later on, as I got older, I had, a, I had a youth leader that pulled me aside one time and he said, he said, you know, Joel, he said, um, there's, a, there's a unique plan for your life by the enemy to create a, a detoured destiny, to get you off track. There's, there's, a, there's a bullseye on you. And so I, I thought about that, but as I got older, I realized that the truth is, is that it doesn't matter whether you are going to be, uh, you're going to work at a church um, or you're going to work at a hospital, you're going to work in the medical field, you're going to work in an office, you're going to be a stay-at-home parent. It doesn't matter what field or occupation or area, area you find yourself in, there is a bullseye on you. In fact, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. It happens as soon as you're born again. And the enemy finds that and sees that on you and zeroes in. And so you don't have to try to stand out and say, here I am, here I am. It, he sees it. He sees it and it's, and it's on. And it's not anything to be afraid of, but it is something to be aware of. Because if the enemy wants to give you a detoured destiny, then you need to be aware of it. That there, that there really is an enemy. And so that's where you stand out. And so when that light is on on the inside of you and you're following Jesus, then you stand out and you stand out to the enemy. The other area where we stand out, you can see it in verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. When we're always on, we stand out even to our sinful desires. What I mean is this, is that sometimes we give the enemy too much credit. We blame the devil for a lot of stuff, at least we used to. The truth is, is that um, even in our own hearts and even in our own lives, we have uh, good desires that come from God and we have sinful desires. Sinful desires are like a, uh, like a disease, like an autoimmune disease. You see, the immune system normally protects the body against foreign materials, like viruses, bacteria. Autoimmune diseases result from a failure of the body's own defenses against disease. And so what happens is the immune system loses its ability to tell the difference between foreign materials and its own cells. So the body starts attacking its own organs and issues. And so this is what sinful desires do. They confuse good desires for bad desires. They confuse bad desires for good desires and they end up waging war on our own soul. And so the way to abstain from sinful desires is we have to figure out a way that we would desire God more than we would desire sin. It's, 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 super, it's super basic. 
but it's very, very difficult. That somehow we've got to figure out how do, how do, I, how do I discipline myself? How do, I, how do I work this up in myself so that I want to please God more than I want to do these other things that are in me that I don't think are actually lining up with Scripture and actually lining up with God's priorities? How do I, how do, I do that? You got to ask yourself, what things stir your affections for God? What, what, what stirs your affections for God? I don't always want to please God. <laughs> I don't live in this constant state. You don't either. Um, in this constant state where you're just always in the holy of holies within yourself and you just travel around in total and complete worship. And anybody that comes up to you, you're like, just Jesus, just Jesus, move along. No, we live in the real world. We live in real life. And so there, those, we, have, we have desires that come up in us and we've got to judge what is, what's, what's God desires, what's sinful desires. And sometimes they're, they're kind of confusing. Sometimes they're hard to tell. And so you got to ask yourself, what kind of things stir up your affections for God? And then you want to answer that and then do those things. You want to do more of those. So I'll give you an example. Something that stirs my affections for God. What, do I, what, what makes me desire God more? It's, it's, it, some things are super basic. I really like coffee. And um, I didn't used to be a morning person. Uh, but for me, if I can get a giant cup of coffee and the Bible early in the morning before my kids get up, because if my kids get up, it's over. The Lord is not there. He has left the room. But if I can, if I can get there, you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are getting up, y'all are trying to worship Jesus and that little kid runs in there and you're like, this is not from God, you know. <laughs> but for me, if I can get in there and if I can, if I can sit, I don't know what it is. I, I love coffee. I, I love the smell of it. I love to drink it. I love to, and, and I can sit there and I can become more aware of nobody in the room but me and Jesus. And I can read the scripture and I can pray and it makes me it, it makes me more af affectionate towards, I, I, I realize and I recognize those desires that are hidden within me if I can do that, if I can get alone, if I can, if, if I can just do that. Another thing, uh, worship music. Um, I, 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 like, I like worship music. Uh, I like a lot of music. Everybody likes music. Everybody's, every, everybody's Facebook pro profile all says that. I, I'm, you know, I like music. If you don't like music, there's there's something, there's something broken, all right? So everybody loves music, and I love music, but I love all kinds of music, but not all kinds of music um, at the end of the day when I get done really build up my affections toward God. So what I've decided to do was uh, be intentional about the, even the music that I listen to. So I um, listen to a lot of worship music uh, throughout the day or at night or in the mornings or when I'm cutting the grass or whatever. And what I've done is I've found myself as that begins to get in me and it begins to get in my soul that, that it builds those affections, it stirs those affections towards God. You just gotta ask yourself if, how do I abstain from sinful desires? Well, I gotta decide what's a God desire, what's a sinful desire, and then I wanna stir up those God desires. And, it's, and, it, and a lot of times they're super, super simple, super basic. What are, what are things that rob your affections for God? What are those things that steal that? For me, long periods of time without, uh, long periods spending, um, not spending time with God. If, if I go a long period without um, just taking some time away to be 
alone with God, what happens is I can, I can feel in my, from God, God's always there. Holy Spirit's always right beside you, but, but I feel that. And so for me, I, I want, I intentionally try to be as consistent as I can with spending time with him because it stirs up my affections. And if I'm not, it robs those affections and replaces them with something else. Long periods of time without spiritual community. For me, it robs those affections. I love having spiritual, godly conversations with close friends. I love goofing off. I love just having fun. I love all those things. But what, what stirs my desires for God is when I can have a, a, a conversation about God and ask somebody, what is it that God's doing in your life? And then they respond to me and they say, this is what he's doing. And we go back and forth and I go, this is, this is you, you've had those experiences. You, go, you leave and you go, there's something that was built up in me and I'm sure built up in that other person. And what robs those from me is if I don't ever do that, if I live in isolation and I'm never, and I'm never engaging with other people in a spiritual way, I begin to isolate myself. And it begins to rob those affections for God. So what do you do? One of the ways that we stir affections for God and stop robbing those affections is we practice spiritual disciplines. Now those sound terrible. And, and honestly, if you've ever tried any of them, they, sometimes they feel terrible. If you ever tried to fast, I, 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 do, I do fast, I do um, um, practice certain disciplines, but like, if I'm honest, like I don't, like, I don't love it. Like I don't love not eat. I get hungry and oftentimes I, in that spiritual moment, I don't feel very spiritual at all. Sometimes when I'm fasting, in fact, it is in that moment where to me, I feel like I'm doing something spiritual, but it, I feel the exact opposite. I'm, I'm getting hungry and I'm getting uh, angry. <laughs> and it's, and it, and I, but the truth is, is that doing these, these disciplines um, shines a light on the areas in your life that God wants to work on. And you're showing, you're going, God, I desire you more than I desire all these other things. And God begins to give a distinction between those. And God shows you where those sinful desires stand out. As you begin to practice following him, they stand out. And so you got to ask yourself and you got to write down, you got to take notes while I'm talking, while I'm finishing up this point, you ask yourself and you go, what, what things stir my affections toward God? I actually want to do more of those. I, if, I just, if I just do more, if I practice doing more of those, I'm going to find myself being able to tell the difference between what is a godly desire and what is a sinful desire. And I'll be able to answer what St. Peter is saying here, where he's saying abstain from sinful desires because you know what they do? They actually wage war on your soul. The enemy wages war on your soul. But so do your own sinful desires wage war on your, they want to, the, the enemy wants to destroy us from the inside out. And so we practice those affections, stirring those affections for God. The last area that stands out when you're always on, when that light is always on, is um, when you're always on, you stand out to the world. First Peter chapter two, 11 and 12. I urge you abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives in the world. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. 
Uh, years ago, um, I was in the office and uh, uh, my wife and I were both at work and she got a phone call from a, a lady who had gotten her phone number from another friend who went to church at Kingwood and um, said uh, she was having trouble with her daughter and said, why don't, you, why don't you call the church and why don't you talk to Lindsay? And so um, she had called and she had a 12-year-old daughter who was struggling terribly with uh, terrible bouts of fear. And um, it was showing up in a, in a lot of areas in her life. And so she was explaining to Lindsay all that was going on. And um, Lindsay listened and they kind of talked through a little bit. She goes, okay, well, tell me, um, tell me what, what do you guys do now? You're calling me and, and I know you said you guys don't go to church here. Do you, do you guys attend anywhere else? She said, well, no, we, we had, you know, we used to attend a while back at this church uh, but over time, as the kids kind of got older, we found ourselves, you know, we really wanted to spend a lot of family time together. And so uh, we kind of ended up, we've got a lake house now. And, and on the weekends, we go down to the lake house and, and we're together, which is really good. And if we're not there, um, my girls, they play travel ball. And so we tend to, tend to be there. And so to tell you the truth, we, we, haven't, we haven't been in, in quite a while. She said, well, how, how long is quite a while? She said, well, it's been a few years. And so she said, well, what, what, tell me, how are, you, how, how are you dealing with your, with your daughter's, all these fears that she's having that's, that's manifesting and showing up in, in other areas in her life? And she goes, well, she goes, I've told her. She says, I've told her the truth. I've told her you need to believe this and you need to do this. She said, I've even told her, you know, that we are to stand on the promises of God and, and, and given her the Bible and said, stand on God's word and his promises and you claim those over your life. And... Um, and Lindsay was talking and she said, well, well, how do you know that that's the truth? And she said, well, I grew up. That's how I grew up. I've, I've learned all this. She said, I know this. And so Lindsay asked the lady, she said, well, where has your daughter learned that? Where would, where would she have learned that? And the phone was silent for a few minutes. And um, it was clear that the, that the parents had experienced a spiritual season a spiritual time in their life. But as they began to feel the pressures of the world um, and just the pull of just other kinds of living, that as they slid away from a spiritual community, as they slid away from the church, that they still carried some truths in them. And that when the attack really came, they, they, they carried some truths on how to respond to that, but the people that were closest to them, their own children, had never ever experienced any of that, any of that and had actually taken them out of the opportunity to be able to understand what it is and how it is that we are to live in a world, in front of the world and in front of the pagans, as Peter says. Um, how are we to live out that godly life in front of them? And they never, those girls didn't have that opportunity. You see that there is a um, there is an enemy, and there are sinful desires that we battle. But there is also just the normal everyday pressures from the world that eke their way in, and that as we follow Jesus, we have the opportunity that we can either blend in. We can either go, I don't, I don't like standing out. I don't like feeling these pressures. I don't like practicing these things. I don't, it, it's, it's, it, it, I, it feels like sandpaper. I don't want to have to do this. And so we can either blend in and hold these 
truths really, really deep and really, really close to ourselves, which in the end just leads to a cultural Christianity that doesn't carry any power. Or we, we have the option where we can jump around and we can say, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me. I'm going to stand up. You don't have to do that. As you follow Jesus closely and that light is always on, it just happens. But one of the areas that that, where that stands out is in the, in the pressures, in the everyday motion, the pressures of the world. And you begin to stand out and you have to ask yourself, how do I respond to this? Uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. Um, when I was 18 years old, I worked for the city. I worked for the city of Huntsville. And uh, I cut grass. And uh, I weed-eated. And I uh, drove a tractor. And um, uh, I worked for three summers. And so we would drive around in this truck, in this uh, F-350 Dually, and uh, there were six of us on the truck. And so uh, half the guys, um, a couple of the guys were from Arab and um, Arab, Alabama, and they lived out, and I don't even know where, so far out. And, and all they talked about uh, every day was um, working on their race cars uh, for their dirt track races that they did on the weekend and uh, drinking and fighting. And so that was the conversation that we had uh, in the truck. The other guys that were in there, um, that rode in the truck with me were from the uh, uh, were from uh, Mason Court Public Housing down in downtown Huntsville, and so they basically talked about the same stuff under different contexts. And so here I am; I've got this long, bushy-headed, 18-year-old sitting in the middle of a truck with six people, and the conversation every single day was. Uh, let me just put it this way: the environment that I found myself in was not conducive to spiritual growth. Um, if we were in a different setting, I could go into details, but I can promise you this, that it was, it was rough. Now, I love the guys that I worked with. I really did. I ended up um, having some great experiences, but the environment was uh, intense. Uh, it, 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 it was intense. And so we would ride around half the time in a truck uh, six of us jammed in all side by side like this, grown men and me, uh, 18-year-old Joel, which is probably about 30 pounds lighter than I am now, so you can imagine. And so I'm sitting there squeezed in between in the seats, and they, they would just start going, and they would just start talking, and they would just start hammering away, and I'm going, I can't, I don't even know, God, there's no way you're in this conversation. There's no way you're in this truck. I don't, even, I don't wanna be here anymore. This is... Uh, this is hard. And um, I, I stood out because I tried my hardest to be faithful to Jesus. And uh, it didn't take but about 30 minutes my very first day for them to realize that um, I was the only Christian in the truck. And, um, and so that's, that's, that's when it happened. I, I just wanted to put my head down and uh, we'd eat the, the gutters. I just, that's all I wanted to do, just, just leave me alone. And they, and they didn't let it happen. So I'm hearing comments all day long. Joel's this and Joel's that and Bo Duke this. They call him Bo Duke. They got it from Dukes of Hazard, And, um, and uh, came up with all kinds of nicknames. And, and, it, and it was, I would, I would laugh it off, but day after day after day, it got harder and harder and harder. It's not like I can go anywhere. I mean, I, we're, our legs are touching while we're sitting in the truck. And um, 
I remember I was so frustrated in um, that I didn't, I, I really didn't want to be there anymore. And one day there was a new guy that had been on the truck for just a couple weeks. And he was unique because he actually said that he was an atheist. And the other guys all said that they believed in God. And I, I promise you they didn't. That there was nothing about their lives that said that. But the guy that was with, him, with me, he, was, uh, he, he, even, he said he didn't believe in God, which was unique. And so he pulls me aside one day and I was having a particularly difficult day. Um, and uh, he goes, hey man, so what is it in? He said, um, he said, man, don't listen to them. I said, what do you mean don't listen to them? He said, um, what you're doing is right, just ignore all them. And I thought, what I'm doing is right. What am, what am I doing? You're an atheist. How have you seen anything in me? He said, what you're doing is right. How you're living is right. Don't worry about all them. And that was it. And then I went back to, uh, then I went back to the truck. I went back to the guys. I don't know where Ian is today. I don't know uh, if he loves Jesus. I don't know if he's following God. I, I do know that being faithfully present in that situation in those three years that I found myself in where I was deciding to be faithful to God and what he had called me to do, but it, I also realized he wasn't gonna take me out of where I was. I asked him to, I said, God, why do you have me here? And he responded, basically said this, because I'm there. I'm there and I want you there. And uh, so for me to be as best I could faithfully present, but God wasn't gonna take me out of where I was, that, that somehow that light that was on still shined so far and so bright in that truck that, that, that even the guys in that, nobody at that truck ever came to God while I was there. But God also wasn't gonna take me out of there because that wasn't his plan. He was to have me there present. Being faithfully present and always on means that you're actually present. Maybe you find yourself in a situation today where you, uh, you're saying the same thing. You're saying, God, why am I, why am I here? Why do, you, why do you have me here? And his answer is the same because I'm here. And so that these people can see your good deeds, can see that light shining in you when it happens and turn and glorify me on the day that I visit. That's what the scripture says. Standing out to the enemy, standing out to sinful desires, standing out in the world. What's crazy is that all three of these kind of work in tandem and you really can't pinpoint them out. You say, well, is, it, is that the devil over there? Is that my own sinful desires? Is that the pressures of the world? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, that's, that's what happens. That's, that's, how the, that's how the world works. But hiding out isn't an option. To be always on and faithfully present means you, you actually have to be present. If you would, if you would, everybody stand in the room. I want to pray for you this morning. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to come up here. I just want you to, if you would, just stand right where you are and everybody's eyes closed. ask you a couple questions. I wonder if there's somebody in here 
or a few people in here that would say, Joel, I've, I've removed myself from really interacting with others that don't know Jesus. And instead I've become uh, isolated and independent. To be honest, I, I'm, not, I'm not present. I'm not present in the world. I've, I've, I'm ignoring it and I've isolated myself and, and I'm faithful to Jesus and, and I'm living for him, but I'm not present with those around me that actually need to see Jesus at work in my life. And so if that's you, Jesus is actually calling you to be present the way he was present. When he said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now he was told that he was a friend of sinners. And so what I would say is if that's you and you say, Joel, I've in my heart, maybe not where I'm at, but in my heart, I've, I've taken a step back from being a light in my environment and I've just begun to blend in a little bit. And I need to confess that to Jesus this morning and I ask for your prayer. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real, real high and you put it back down? Yeah, yeah, real high and then you can put your hand back down, yes. Maybe you're in here and you would say, um, I haven't stood out, I'm, I haven't been always on. Instead, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm just blending in. Outside of this church, I'm not any different than the people that I'm with, my coworkers or my neighbors. I don't stand out in the world. I blended right in and God is calling me to change and I can feel him in my heart calling me to change. I can feel it, I feel it. If that's you, just between me and you and the Holy Spirit, Say, God is calling me to change this morning. Would you raise your hand real, real high and put it back down? Yes, 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 in the balcony. God, we worship you this morning. I'm grateful that you would speak to us, that you would speak to your people. God, that you would call us closer and closer and nearer to you. God, that you would show us how that when, when you're alive on the inside of us, that that light is on. But that we are to be aware of the areas that we stand out. God, I pray for those people that raised their hand this morning. You've already begun a work in their heart. Even now, I pray that you would complete it today and this week, that as you've, as you've begun that work of change in them, God, that they wouldn't forget it as they walk out. They wouldn't forget it as they go back to work tomorrow, but they would remember that there is no blending in, but that we stand out to the enemy. We stand out even in our own sinful desires and from the pressures of the world. That God, we are to be faithfully present, always on with you. And you would bring a conviction inside of our hearts for just that. God, we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you this morning. Thank you for coming. Go this week in the power of Jesus, alive, living inside of you, so that the light that is alive inside of you would be seen by everybody you come in contact with.